Welcome to the latest episode of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And this week's guest host is returning a little bit sooner than anticipated. So he was gracious enough to step in and fill in when someone else was unable to make it to the commitment through no fault of his own and circumstances beyond his control. I hit him. Leaving the door open, I would very much like to have him on the podcast at some point between now and the end of the run. When he wakes up and unties himself. Oh, yeah. Well, I hear he knows how to navigate in the dark. Ah, crap. That's who that was. I'm looking over my shoulder now. Great. (laughs) All right. So this week we're actually dealing with Alpha Flight issue number 12. Now, the creative team is actually pretty easy to to churn through here. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a simple one. Yeah, it's written by John Byrne, penciled by John Byrne, inked by John Byrne, Colored by Andy Yanchis, lettered by Michael Higgins, edited by Denny O'Neill, with Jim Shooter as editor-in-chief. Cover date was July 1984, and it was released on or about April 17th, 1984. As already mentioned, this was story number 56 in the countdown. Oh, see, my issue here, John Byrne gave himself different credits. It says Creator Chronicler. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he likes to... To do that. He also considers himself a creator of Alpha Flight, and justly so. It was he and Chris oh, yeah. Claremont that were on the issue of Uncanny X-Men, first where the Guardian appears in isolation, James McDonald Hudson, and then when the team appears. Yeah, I think that's what, 109 and then 120, 121, I think. Yeah, so I want to say 121, 122. I thought 120 was the second half of the Moses Magnum fight. Or maybe that is. But but close enough. Yeah, it's very much that ballpark. If you're trying to find the issues, then you're that's close enough. They'll get you there. They're on the cover. Yeah, my first issue of of X-Men ever was the second half of the Moses Magnum fight. Reprinted in classic X-Men. I loved it. It kept going and went to Alpha Flight right after. Oh, you were way earlier than I was. My first issue was 207. Okay. The one with Wolverine slashing the cover down and stabs Phoenix Rachel at the end. All right. Yeah, so you started reading sooner than I did because, as I said, I was reading the classic X-Men reprints. So that one was published around, like, issue 230 or 240, somewhere in that neighborhood. I, jo- I joined in at the bright, cheery time when, you know, we thought they were going to die. Anyway, but that's not X-Men. This is Alpha Flight. Yep, it is. And this is, well, I've always said I had a soft spot for Alpha Flight because, I mean, I was a Canadian. I was driving through Calgary when they announced the Canadian superhero in the issue I was reading right that moment in uh, Walter Lankowski, a.k.a. Sasquatch. Oh, really? Yep. So I've had a, a bit of a soft spot for them, but not actually soft enough to have collected their comics as a child. I did actually collect the series. I mean, I didn't collect it early. It was my earliest ones, but I started with 87. They did like a bit of a restructuring of the title. And I think even Jim Lee was involved with the covers then. So we're not talking that early. We're talking like 89, 90. But I read that through like 112, 114, 115, when there was a new creative team that came on. And I I just remember not liking the art at all. I don't want to say, I forget. I think I remember who it is, but I don't want to say, because I just don't want to, there's no point being mean if I don't have to. Yeah. But I did enjoy it while I was reading it. I mean, it was, they had a lot. They played with almost all the characters. They brought back most people, and they did something with all of them. Yeah, this was. I understand that this is a respected book, or it had been in the past. By the time I started reading comics, John Byrne was off. And when I was thinking about it, those who said they were reading it had told me, "No, don't get it now. The old stuff is better." So I was tempted to go and dig through the back issue bins, but that required a little more budget than I had access to when I was an elementary school student. Yeah, um, the only ones I've read of the earlier run, besides. Before issue 87 was on the Marvel Unlimited. They had the first seven or eight issues. So I've read those. But that's it. And now this one. 
yeah, I picked this up because, like I said, I had a conceptual soft spot for Alpha Flight, so I picked up all three Alpha Flight Classics volumes as they were published, and part of me was waiting to get the entire John Byrne run together to read in one sitting, because I find that's the best way to read John Byrne, is, you know, when you're in a burn mood, you burn through the... <laughs> the He's here all week, folks. Tip your waiters. Yeah, so they've actually been sitting on my shelf unread until it came time to do this episode of the podcast. Yeah, I will probably wait for them to be on the Marvel Unlimited, then I'll read them. All right, so we should probably talk a little bit about what this issue's about and what's going on. And we'd like to talk about the continuity significance. We'll probably hit that, but right around the time we're done with the summary. Yeah. Because it's, from what I'd heard coming in, I knew enough about Alpha Flight to know that if you're only going to pull one issue out, there's only really two issues that are going to be eligible for pulling it out as sing or for being singled out as a great comic story. And this is not the issue where North Star comes out of the closet. Oh, oh, oh well, significant, yes. A great story? Uh, significant. Yeah. Very significant. But they could have done much better for that. I mean, you want more, you want a better story? It does that Flash 54, 55 with, when Piper comes out? Yeah, I'll, I'll give that Alpha Flight story where North Star comes out credit for taking the risk of being the first issue from either of the big two. Yeah, to have one of the main characters, because Piper still wasn't, he was a supporting character. Yeah, this is someone who ostensibly was one of the, at least co-stars, if not the star of the book, one of the few characters who'd been there for the full run. Yeah, since the beginning. But it wasn't that great. It was towards, I mean, that was towards the end of me getting the book. By that time, I was getting near the end of, okay, maybe I won't be getting this. (laughs) Yeah, I read it in reprint. I think it was reprinted in the, the back of one of the issues leading up to his wedding in the Astonishing Run, and it was... Yeah, full kudos for the historical significance that has for the industry, but it felt like they were saying, this is the what we're going to throw down, this is the major landmark we're going to hit, and they got so yeah. focused on that that they forgot how to tell a great story. Yeah, the plan for the issue was, this is the issue that North Star comes out. Okay, what are you going to do in it? This is the issue where North Star comes out. Well, what about the subplots? What are the characters going to do? No, no, this is the issue that North Star comes out. Do you have anything else? Anyway, so there's only two significant issues. This is not that one. So this one opens with James McDonald Hudson's wife in what she soon understands as captivity. Yes. In a very, very white room. Oh, yeah. Either that or John got tired of doing backgrounds. Oh, it would have been Andy as the, the colorist. Oh, yeah. Andy? Damn it. Andy Anxious, but it could have been a white room because John Byrne was so light on the backgrounds everywhere. Just different rooms got different colors so you could tell them apart. Yeah. This building is white. When we go to the flashback where we find out her captor, none other than oh, Jerry. Jerry. Yep, Jerry Jackson. When they're going to flashbacks, anytime he was in the original government buildings, it was yellow backgrounds. And actually, oh yeah, I didn't realize that. Also, I'm wondering if that was intentional. The flashback is all, like, everything has color to it, all the backgrounds, but the current stuff is all just white. So I wonder if also that was part of his way to show to, so when you were reading it, you knew which was the flashback and which was Heather in the present. Yeah, that's, it was kind of bookended that way. Long story short, Jerry Jackson made promises to James McDonald Hudson about how the technology that he was developing would be used. He intended to break those promises. Hudson found out about those intentions and walked away from his employer with his technology. And Jerry Jackson's career basically ended because they blamed him for not delivering on his promises. Yes, because not only did Hudson run out leave, he stole the suit briefly, left the suit, but he took the helmet because he developed the helmet before he worked for them. Yeah, he took everything he could legally take, which is an important point about the kind of person James McDonald Hudson is. Yes, because part of the story was told there was an Alpha Flight special. I think it might have been called Special Edition that came out around the time I was getting the book. 
that kind of did a bit of the origin about like a bit of this background origin. It told this story in more detail, how him and Heather got together, how him actually stealing the suit and actually even several of the characters in Omega Flight that'll show up. It shows the initial recruitment of them and training of these characters. So it's actually like, even though I only just read this today, I actually knew who half those characters were because they had appeared in that special, like Smart Alec, who I don't know ever comes back. Yeah, he was unfamiliar to me, but yeah, so we get that. Anyway, end of the flashback, we find out that, yeah, Jerry Jackson is gung-ho to track down James from Donald Hudson. His wife is storming out of the room past the only person that she sees there, who's essentially an anorexic... Nigel painting? Yeah, she was... I don't know, She her attire is like... I don't know, She's she looks like the anorexic secretary with kind of a punk rock look and a lot of cleavage. Oh, she looks like, um, what's her name from the second Men in Black movie, the way she looked? Because she was so, like, skinny then. Yeah, little Lara Flynn Boyle, yeah. That's it. Yeah. And anyway, so we do find out that Heather can actually peel this woman's face off. So she's not just a normal woman, which probably explains why she's able to toss Heather around the room. Yes. And Heather goes to scratch her eyes out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Which actually shows a lot about, about Heather Hudson here. She's She is not a damsel in distress. No, she will fight. Oh, real quick, though, before we get out of this, I know it's not part of the synopsis, but I am very entertained that when Jerry Jackson finds out that Hudson is Guardian... And you see him in that panel. He's on the phone. And then the next page, he says, and I went to Roxxon. And apparently I also waited 10 years. Because look at him. He's not even 40 in that one. Dark hair. Next page. All white. He went gray overnight, apparently. I just. Yeah, apparently the stress of having the technology he was intending to steal stolen from him just really drove him to an early, early senior citizen rage. I just remember I was reading it. And I'm telling, they're telling me the flashback story. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like. Well, did he wait 15 years before going to get his revenge? Once he found out, he's like, okay, and now I'm going to wait, and then I'll go to Roxxon. <laughs> but not that it's important. It just really stuck to me as I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah, he seems to have aged more than any other character in the story. Yeah. Which could be, I mean, the next two characters we cut to are technically immortal, so that could be a part of it. Or at least Snowbird is immortal. Snowbird Shaman, is. Shaman's not immortal, but he seems to age well, we'll say. Yeah. He's always a, he's an awesome character. He, I always wish they would do more. He could do more in the mainstream, you know, you know, stuff besides Alpha Flight. Yeah, I've seen him in Alpha Flight, and he's always fun. Yeah, when something major and magical is going down, and Doc Strange wants friends, if they need more than three or four, he's usually number five. Yeah, Brother Voodoo gets called. Damien Hellstrom gets called. That you know, you've even had Nico from Runaways get called, and it seems like Shaman's next on the list, which is kind of insulting. Like, okay, we're going to call the teenage girl and the guy we're pretty sure is going to betray us. Yeah. Damien, Nico, come on in. Oh, yeah, and I guess the guy from Alpha Flight, too. <laughs> yeah, the the one thing I will say with Alpha Flight officially dissolved, I will give them the benefit of the doubt that Shaman may not want to be found, and he could not be found and be hard to contact. So it would be nice if they used him more, but at least in the story world, you can kind of sort of buy that. Yeah, but I've, all of them, I think him, you know, I would like to see the mo him the most. Used again somewhere. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of depth. One of my favorites was Sasquatch because again, I grew up three hours from Calgary, and Sasquatch is the Calgarian hero. So until they come up with yeah. one from Edmonton, he's kind of the local guy. He's your guy. Yeah, and they never did specify which part of Alberta Wolverine's from, so he could be closer to where I live. Who knows? Uh, but he and Aurora are next. They are romantically involved at this point. Yes. And Sasquatch is a scientist who's built himself this anti-friction suit so he can survive flying at Aurora's speeds. So it is nice that they're actually taking into account the fact that a lot of these flying characters can withstand a lot more air friction than their passengers. Yeah, and unlike the Flash, he doesn't have the aura that extends to whatever he's holding or carrying. 
Yeah, which I think for both Flash and Superman, that's a bit of the afterthought where they're saying, yeah, these guys would be burning up. Well, no, there, there's parts of his powers we just haven't mentioned yet. Yeah. Well, super, well Superman, at least pre it was always wrap you in my indestructible cape. Yeah. So they at least did it for Superman. But Flash, yeah, that was probably just like, how do we do that? <laughs> uh, so then from there, we see Puck, who is also a member of the team, and North Star traveling together. We see Marina, who is apparently at this point romantically involved with Submariner to the point that she misses the call. Yeah, so. she's just in the page to know that she's not there. Although I am a bit disturbing when they call her a tantalizing childwoman that he's fallen in love with. I'm like, that makes its name or sound a bit creepy. Yeah, the history I've seen from her in... I've, I've seen later issues of Alpha Flight, I think just the one Secret Wars crossover. Um, but if this is anything like the way she was used in J. Michael Straczynski's Supreme Power, she is physically an adult, but just raised so far away from society that she's like a child and how she understands it. Yeah, see, I mean, I don't remember much. The only thing I, I remember Marina was uh, two issues of Power Pack that she guest starred in. Okay. But otherwise, this is it, really. So, so just reading that description, it just makes it, I mean, if you're just reading this issue and that's it, and that's all you know of Marina, you're just looking at Namor like, okay. You're like, no, no, really? She Physically, she's an adult. Mentally? Eh, who cares? Yeah, and Namor is the kind of guy who maybe doesn't care about the mind as long as he gets the body, but... We'll see. And then again, also Namor. I mean, Namor's only one of they haven't like one of the few they haven't retconned time frame. You know, Professor X wasn't in Korea anymore, but Namor has still been alive since like 1920. So even at this point, he's like what 60, 70 years old. Yeah. I guess for him, they're all younger. Yeah. Okay, never mind. You, yeah, he's it's okay then. He's not being that bad. So they're all actually meeting. Yeah, they get everyone on the team together except James McDonald Hudson. We get you know the transformation into Sasquatch and. You know, he and North Star have a bit of a brouhaha because, you know, North Star is not the easiest person to get along with. North Star is a dick. Wait, can I say that on your show? Oh, yeah. Okay, North Star is a dick. That's just his person. That's just basically his personality. Yeah. He's a jerk. Very much so. And Sasquatch, there's comments that he's finding it harder to control and becoming more and more animalistic with each transformation. Yeah, this is, I remember from what I read about F-Fly and what I read later on, this is the whole Great Beast storyline coming up. It could well be. I guess I've got a lot I want to read, so... But yeah, because Sasquatch ends up fighting everybody. Yeah. Pretty much this issue right here. Yeah, and from there they teleport to a confrontation with Omega Flight. So I guess if Alpha Flight's the first, Omega Flight's the last, and they skip the rest of the Greek alphabet. Exactly. Well, Beta and Gamma Flight do show up much, much later. They actually do exist. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like Canada has quite the developed superhero team history. We just don't see a lot of stories with them. And they usually end up betraying each other and stuff like that. Yeah. So from here we cut to... As we said, Guardian already fighting Omega Flight here. So we're looking at six members of Omega Flight, one of whom seems to already be out, although he is he does kind of recover. Yeah. Yeah, it's all flashback is drawn like he's out. I guess that's probably just one of his duplicates. I think the main flashback is the one with the black top and the white bottom on his costume. And the, the other two are the ones with the white top, and I think that's how you tell them apart. Yeah, the ones that appear almost like negatives. So... We get actually a, a fairly well choreographed flight. We see some impact. For example, Snowbird, she was previously enchanted by Shaman to have that immortal power because she was aging quite quickly, as we learned strictly through the exposition in the story. And he realizes it's his fault because the magics he used tied her to the land. So this establishes something that has shown up in recent X-Men issues, that magic can actually see national borders. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah, she's actually bound to Canada. She cannot leave Canada, which is what they've done also with Captain Britain. I know they've done it off and on, but many times his power has been tied where if he actually leaves Britain, he loses power. 
not as quickly as Snowbird here, where she starts aging rapidly, but his power starts usually starts dwindling after you know, the longer he's away from home. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few things. Now, there does seem to be a little bit of uh, John Byrne, shall we say, making the best use of his time. It's on page 102 of the Alpha Flight Classics Volume 2 trade paperback. It looks like it's page 28 in the numbered issue. The last three panels, I swear he drew one panel and zoomed in. Yeah, yeah, it looks exactly the same. Even like the little line on his mouth on Smart Alc on the last three panels. Yeah, that looks like it. <laughs> he photostatted it or he copied it. Yeah, which, to be fair to John Byrne, He's writing, penciling, and inking, I think, multiple titles at this point, because I believe this came out during his Fantastic Four run. I think so. I know he wasn't on Hulk yet, but I think he was doing it for FF at the time. Even if he wasn't, this is an extra-sized issue, and he's still doing all the art chores himself. Yeah. There are a few people in the industry who could put together, you know, a 40-page issue solo. Yeah. And not have a And he's not even doing the all-white pages like he would do later on somewhere else in his run. Yeah. But, no, they're going through, and it looks like the team's got a handle on it. It ends with James McDonald Hudson beating down Box, and he's trying to figure out why Robert Box is doing the stuff that seems out of character. That's when he finds out, oh, yeah, it's not Robert Box. It's actually Jerry Jerome, who was the one who had Hudson kidnapped, or Heather Hudson. Oh, and we go back to Heather. Yeah. So Heather Hudson has discovered that the secretary's a robot. A lady robot. That manages to elude her long enough to get out here while James Hudson does manage to short-circuit the control helmet that knocks Jerry Jerome out, so he's done. But he has taken a beating, as has his suit. His suit is damaged. Yeah, and he realizes he's got to get the power pack disconnected properly and safely within about 10 seconds, or it's going to blow. And I do like the nine-panel grid where each panel you can see is a number with it, with him in the panel trying to uh, undo his suit. Yeah, you get that nice countdown on the page, and right when he's about to get the job done, Heather walks in the room and distracts him. Yes. And he goes, what? So <laughs> and as, boom. Yeah, so as tragic as it is for Heather to watch her husband die, reading this page, it's entirely possible that if she hadn't chosen that moment to walk through the room, he wouldn't have died. Yeah, although, and I've read that said before, and I knew, I knew that, but I'd never read the issue before. It's not like they were, that he, she was around, she saw the whole fight, she knew what was going on, he said, leave me, give me two minutes. And she said, but I want to talk to you. This is the same house she was trapped in. She was trying to find a way out. Yeah. So she just happens to open the door at the wrong time. So, yes, it is her fault, but it's not like she knew what he was even there. Yeah, and it might not have made a difference because the last few panels he's got, okay, now the pack itself doesn't want to slide too well. Got it. Secondary leads out, but it's still overheating. I may not. And then Heather walks in going, I wonder what's behind this door. It sees her husband yeah. and he's saying, no, don't come in here. Get. And it blows up at his face. So I would say that his death was inevitable due to the damage to his suit at that point. And that's the end of the issue, is Heather standing over the charred remains of her husband in a splash page. And he did. Yeah. He's really most sincerely dead. This is not... This is not the Joker fell off a cliff, but we couldn't find the body, but no one could survive that fall kind of dead. This is, to my knowledge, he stayed dead until Chaos War brought all sorts of dead characters back temporarily. Actually, no. Oh, he wasn't even back in... Or he might have been back in Chaos War, but he did come back again later? You know what I said I started reading around 87? Yeah, there. Okay. He comes back there. All right. So he was dead for 75 issues, which is still a pretty good run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was right. And apparently he's yeah he's still alive as far as I know. Okay. But yeah, no, he was teleported. Although it does not look like he could have been teleported here. No. That looks like a body actually burning. Yeah, I think it is very, very clear that John Byrne intended to kill him. Yes, but they did 
find a way. To, they did try and bring him back. But yeah, reading it now, I'm like, oh, it doesn't look very much like he actually did come back. <laughs> no. Yeah, this is this is a pretty definitive death. And I believe that's the continuity significance. If you were to stop me right now and say, why is this on here? That's the scene I would pick out. Because, well, it's not a bad issue. There's nothing else in this issue that would make me say, yes, this is top 75 Marvel of all time. Yeah, not a bad issue, though. No, this is enjoyable. And when I'm through this podcast series and have time to sit down and read a lot more, all three of these Alpha Flight Classic volumes are going pretty darn near the top of that list. Because this, this is a good comic story, well told, that would have been enjoyable even without those last few pages. But the last few pages are the big thing. Because, I mean, he was the main character of the book. Yeah. You know, he was the leader and he was the guy, he was the main thing. And yeah, killing him off in the issue 12 was, especially then, kind of unheard of. Yeah. And particularly when you're reading the dialogue, it's clear that the Canadian government has essentially disowned Alpha Flight. And the team is still together because of their loyalty to James McDonald Hudson. Yeah. In fact, I think that happened. That was issue one. They got dumped by the Canadian government. Yeah. Alpha Flight's history is weird. Unlike everyone else, I guess because they're in, they can say they're in Canada, they're not interacting with the other characters in the universe so much. There's a lot of gaps in time between them. They allude to the fact that it's been like months since they've talked to each other even. Yeah, they've been, there's some of that in, in this issue. So it gives a different feel to the book. As I said, the fact that they're in Canada means you don't have to explain why they're not bumping into Spider-Man when they go around the corner. Exactly. And maybe that's why he's able to do that, because they're so far removed from everyone else, because everyone else is in New York, basically, at that point. Yeah, I don't remember the exact timelines. The West Coast Avengers may have been active at or near this time. Uh, let's see. I think would have been close. I just looked at I was looking up Alpha Flight real quick and Comic Book DB, and it said '83 it started. And West Coast Avengers, I think the miniseries was like '84. So this might have been that might have at least have started by now, but just been starting. Yeah, September 1984 was the cover date on West Coast Avengers number one, the four issue miniseries. So yeah, this this issue of Alpha Flight issue 12 was published two months before West Coast Avengers. Okay, so it hadn't really started yet. No. It was undeniably on the table, right? It was, that's some of the production offices where they've been building towards. Yeah. But I know, like, there's one line where Puck thinks, you know, Mac promised me I wouldn't be left out like last time they got together. And he said that it's, the box says issue one. Yeah. So they're alluding that the last time Alpha Flight actually did something, you know, got together was the first issue. And this is issue 12. Yeah. Or at least that's when, uh, yeah, Mac made the promise when it meant issue one. For I remember from the issues I read at least that were in the Unlimited, a lot of them are like solo stories. Or just like one or two of them together, not the whole team acting as one. It's entirely possible. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if when Puck was saying that's the last time that they acted together, if that would have been, you know, just because they rather than add a new character to the team, just say, yeah, he was already a member of the team when they showed up in the X-Men, but he wasn't there that day. Yeah, we forgot to get him. We overlooked him. That's it. Northstar was supposed to get him. He's a jerk. That's the answer for everything. So, And I think that's probably the impact that's had on the story or on, and on the industry. Because this, this is a major turning point for the book. We've got 12 issues establishing that everyone's together for the sake of Mac, and now Mac's dead. Yeah, so it killed him, and it basically made uh, Heather go from supporting character to vindic becoming Vindicator herself. Yeah, so she ends up taking over the suit, which is nice. One of the first female leads outside the X-Books. Yes, yeah. Tangentially related to the X-Books, but still not yeah. an X-Book proper. Yeah, she was, le yeah, she was leader, and the main character so for a long time, so it brought in a new character, basically. It did, and I, I do like the way that she's established here. So even before she's got the power suit, she's no shrinking violet. No. Yeah, she just looks at this waif of a secretary going, if you're that's all that's standing between me and getting out to safety and finding my husband, 
well, you're going I'm down. Going, yeah, I'm going through you. So that's had that secretary been human, there's no doubt in my mind that Heather would have just tor- torn her apart. Actually, the way Heather went for it and the way the face just came off, I think Heather was going for the eyes. Yeah, you don't accidentally tear a robot's face off unless you're trying to seriously scratch the human being you believe it is. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm just going to blind you and then I can walk out. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to Heather. And it's I can see her as pulling the team together. And of course, John Burns' love of Wolverine is there. The trade paperback has the cover to issue 13, which is Wolverine protecting Heather. Yeah, he does show up a few times, I know, in this series. Yeah, which makes sense, because that's his history. Mac and Heather have a huge part of him refinding his humanity yeah. after Weapon X. And he's supposed to have been, like, one of the original members. Yeah, the original, in the backstory, the original plot for Alpha Flight was that Wolverine would be the leader in the field, and Mac would sort of lead it from a distance. And when Wolverine joined the X-Men, Mac got bumped into the field role. Yeah. Yeah, Mac was supposed to be the guy in charge of Wolverine was just like, yeah, he was like the, he was like the sergeant. You know, take him out, leave him in, I deal with everything else. Yeah, so those of us who grew up on G.I. Joe comics, Mac was supposed to be Hawk, Wolverine was supposed to be Duke. Perfect. That works. And I think, well, we've covered my personal story with this, how I first got exposed to it, sitting on my shelf until this podcast came due. How about you, Al? Have you had, I mean, we know that you've been reading a lot of Alpha Flight. Did you go back and reread this before the Digital Unlimited? Was it also just for the podcast? Just for the show, because this, like I said, uh, Digital Unlimited, last I checked, only had up to issue seven or eight. Yeah. So I only was got a copy of this for the show. Otherwise, I was just going to wait till they were on there. So as someone with a little more familiarity with Alpha Flight, how does it strike you? Uh, better than I thought. I mean, I did enjoy it, because like I said, I've only heard about this story. You know, I knew what happened. And I remember, actually, it's funny, because I've read his return years before I read this but I never actually saw how it happened. And so it's done very, like if I was reading it initially, definitely, definitely very shocking because you really don't get a idea that this is going to happen until like the next to the last page. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of going, reading there going, oh, the 10 second thing, you're waiting for it to go, okay, next page, whoo, got it done. And instead he goes boom. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I kind of felt this was going to happen while I was reading it, he said partly because I knew this was coming, but the cover also says one of these characters will die with crosshairs over every character. Yes. And you see, everyone's been defeated, but Mac's suit has taken a beating, and he starts initiating repairs. And that's something, at that point, had I not known Mac was going to die, as a reader, it would have been, okay, it's either Mac or Snowbird after that rapid aging thing. He's going to save himself from the suit, come back in the next room and find out that that she passed away, because now she's in the body of a 150-year-old or something along those lines. Yeah. But I actually put this, like, as one of the bigger shocks Marvel has done, like, like, Surprises killing the main character off up with uh, the last page of Thunderbolts and the uh, death of Gwen Stacy. Okay. Both of which actually ranked higher on the list. So, but I think that's, I, I can see why people will put it on the list. I mean, a lot of things we said are on those just for the historical significance. Like, for example, um, off the top of my head, the first appearance of Wolverine. Yeah. But it's still awesome to hear people talk about it or, you know, Marvel Comics one or things like that. But I think some other ones, and there are obviously other, plenty of them that are on there just ju- really for the story. But there are some of them that it's partially story, but partial also because it was just a shocking, groundbreaking thing that Marvel did that you didn't expect. And it stuck at least for a while, you know, for a long period of time. It wasn't like now where Wolverine was killed recently, but we know when he's going to be back. We can almost guarantee he's going to be back by the time the next X-Men movie comes out. Just like Spider-Man went from being, you know, uh, what's it called? Superior Spider-Man and Oh, what? Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is coming out, and oh my god, Peter Parker's back? How'd that happen? What coincidence and timing? I was never expecting that. Yeah, I suspect 
But Marvel's running that weekly Wolverines series for 52 weeks. I'm betting we know how that's going to end. Yeah, but especially back here, Phoenix had died a few years ago and was still dead. And they kind of, people were, for the most part, were assuming, you know, in when you actually saw them die, they were dead. You know, if there was an ambiguous, oh, we shut the door and they vanished, maybe he's dead, you know, or until he comes back. But things like this were kind of still played back then as if, no, they're dead. They're gone. We're not using the character anymore. Yeah. And so I think that was one of the reasons, like, why this one's on there. Because everyone who's reading it just went, what the hell? But, yeah, so I think that's why it's on the list. It just was so shocking. Not just because they did it, but it stuck for so long. Yeah, this wasn't, we're going to kill them off in part of an eight-part story and they're back at the end. Yeah, There's a moment in Infinity Gauntlet, I believe it's issue one of Infinity Gauntlet, which we'll eventually talk to, that's shocking when you read that page. But by the time you're done that page, you're like, eh, it's a six-issue series. This cannot stand. Yeah. Okay, they're going to talk about it. Yeah, and like I said, I haven't read the last the few issues right before this, but reading this one, I kind of got the impression that Eleven was not a cliffhanger. This feels very much standalone story, so I don't think any of the stuff, I don't think really Mac being fighting Omega Flight, I'd be surprised if that actually was not Eleven. Yeah, it, it might have been in there just to introduce how Heather got kidnapped, because there's a little bit of a recap there. Yeah, maybe a... Briefly, but it wasn't like a big, you know, ooh, to be continued. What will happen next? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if John Byrne was a little exposition heavy on the recap to get this in at the beginning. Not just because it's the Jim Shooter editor-in-chief era, where he was saying every comic is somebody's first. Make sure everyone can understand what's going on in any issue they pick up. And there's something to be said for that, which is why Marvel has those one-page recaps at the start of their issues now. Yes, which I like. But it wouldn't surprise me if Byrne went a little bit heavy on there, because, you know, Byrne is known for having a high opinion of himself. He deserves to have a, a good reputation, especially in the 80s. He was in his prime. Yeah. It just, is it, you know, is he as good as he thinks he is, is the question. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he said, nobody's done this before. There's going to be demand for these issues. People are going to be buying this as their first issue of Alpha Flight ever. I'm going to make sure that people who are buying it as their first issue ever can pick it up so they'll keep reading for the rest of my run. Yeah. Oh, and I just like to say, I just looked up real quick on ComicBookDB. I was completely wrong about issue 11 because the synopsis there is Guardian is lured, lured into a trap by Jerome Jackson and his newly formed Omega Flight when they kidnap Heather Hudson. So never mind. This actually was a two part thing. OK, <laughs> I was way off base. Yeah, well, you know what? That that speaks a lot to how well John Byrne does the exposition at the beginning. Yeah, I didn't need it. It's the same thing here. You pick it up, you read it and everything you need to follow this issue is right there on the page. Exactly. So if you've never read Alpha Flight before, I mean, this is good enough that I want to go back and read issues 1 through 11, but it's not required. Yeah. No, I will say at least that when I read the first seven or eight issues, I did enjoy them a lot. I'm just planning on waiting until they come in on Marvel Unlimited because I don't really have the time and the finances to like go buy the issues or the space to store them. So I'd rather wait for them to be on Marvel Unlimited and read them there. But as soon as I see them on there, I plan on reading them. Yeah, I suspect it's just the first eight issues because I believe... Marvel Digital Unlimited would have been adding them right around the time that Volume 2 of Alpha Flight Classic came out, which picks up with Issue 9. Yeah, but they have so many of the X-Men books, X-Men things in there, and it's not like X-Men has never been reprinted. Yeah, but they also have every issue of Thor, almost all the Fantastic Fours. Yeah, I think the whole run of the first run of Fantastic Four, not counting the annuals, but the first, you know, that 416 issues are all on there. It's not like you can't find Yeah, any profitable movie franchise is in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what we need. We need an Alpha Flight movie. You never know. Wave four, all Alpha Flight. It's a Puck solo movie, and then a Shaman movie, and then a Snowbird movie. Or no, wait, no, that no. 
it'll take a while for them to give her a movie because it's, it's a woman. You know, we still haven't got a Black Widow movie. So, <laughs> all right, that's yeah. Alpha Flight is it's a stronger Dark Horse candidate than Guardians of the Galaxy was, and look how that turned out. Yeah, well, yeah, I love that movie. All right, so beyond that, if, if there's any deeper meanings or missions, you know, well, not missions. I was saying mission because I'm thinking this is the part of the podcast I blatantly stole from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast that everybody should be listening to. Plug, plug. Oh, yeah. If I'm going to steal from them, I could at least give them full credit and send people to them because, you know, I'm stealing from the best as far as I'm concerned. That's what I do usually. Plus, people don't like it. You have someone else to blame. There you go. Do we have any uh, morals, meanings, or messages? I guess maybe the closest I can think of is a deeper meaning is life's still, you know, even for these characters, life's still random. Like for everyone else, you know, stuff happens. You know, it's not all going to be wrapped up. Your life is not always going to be wrapped up in a nice bow with, you know, as a with a beginning, middle, and end that fits together. Yeah, you, the good guys don't always win. It's just a little more realistic. It's just, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, you could say that there is no plan. You could say that you don't understand the plan, but bad things can happen to good people. Yeah, you could still say, well, you know, I'm still planning on doing these things, and I have to do this and this, and I made plans with these people, but doesn't mean that crap can't happen, and all of a sudden, you're gone. Yeah, there's also a little bit with uh, Jerry Jackson and this, because this whole thing came out, right? Because Jerry Jackson is the kind of character who will not take responsibility for his own poor decisions. Yeah, he blames Guardian and uh, Heather for betraying him, because when he lied to them about what was going to happen, what they created for him, and they got angry about it, that was, they betrayed him. <laughs> yes, you have no right to stab me in the back before I stab you in the back. Yeah. It's like the five-year-old who comes in the room yelling, Mommy, Mommy, they punch me back. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, wait, you knocked me. Hey, no, no, you shouldn't. You have no right to knock me down when you're trying to run away from me stabbing you in the back. That was wrong. <laughs> that hurt in here. Yeah, that's what it all comes down to. But it's hard to ascribe that as the message, given that when it's all said and done, Jerome Jackson ends up in a better position than Mac does. Oh, no, he no, he died. I'm pretty sure they said he died in there. So he died first. OK, for some reason, I was thinking he was just comatose. No, I'm let me. Hold on. Let me skim back real quick. But I'm pretty certain. Oh, yeah, you're right. Box says he won't answer you, Miss Courtney. He can't, not ever again. So that strongly implies death. Yeah. I mean, well, granted, he could just be completely, com you know, fried his brain. Yeah, I mean, it, that's an easier death to retcon than Max. We're looking at... Yeah, better than the charred corpse. Yeah, he screams, he collapses, he's physically intact, and that professional medical opinion comes from the guy tied up on the ground on the other side of the room. Yeah. So he can't really go check for a pulse. Yeah, so they... I guess there's... Two major deaths because of this. So, again, Jerome Jackson gets his just desserts, which, as I said, that's got to be an easier retcon than the return of, of Mac. Yeah. At least from a writer's standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, well, Mac's the one that sold the book. So. Oh, yeah. And bringing him back is a big, you know, splash cover thing. You know, guess who's back? Anyway, so I think that's it for the meetings. In terms of why it landed at this point on the list, as you've already said, as last page shockers go, it's a pretty good one. Now, there yeah. are others. We'll talk about Thunderbolts number one on September 23rd, or at least in that podcast. And the death of Gwen Stacy is the other one you mentioned, which is actually number one on the list. So that's how we're going to end the 75 issue series in June of 2016. Can't think of anything else that really would fit that criteria. Maybe Death of Phoenix, but that was at least well more from reading those story. You can at least kind of get an idea that that possibly could happen. Yeah. You know, that was way more easy to tell earlier on than the, those three issues were. Yeah, I think the only other issues I could think of that end with a holy crap moment like that are two that didn't make the list at all. Now, I'm disappointed that none of Hickman's Secret Warriors made the list. Oh, Secret Warriors. I like that. That was a good book. 
Yeah, but the end of issue one, I think, was as much of a shock to me. Yeah, and then the other one would be the the last page of Dan Slott's first issue of Mighty Avengers was something of a shocker as well. Those are the big hits, and this is... Yeah, I can see why this is on there, and I suspect just the popularity of the titles and the overall quality of the other pages in the same issues might be why this landed at 56, and those other big shockers landed at 37 and 1. Yeah, and I think also John Byrne has something to do with that, because for as many people who, and I'm not even talking about his stuff now, but as many people who love John Byrne's stuff from this time period, there's also a lot, there's also a lot of John Byrne backlash, and a lot of people who, just because of the way that we've heard about, I've, we've heard about John Byrne acts. I've never met him, so I'm just going to say the way I've heard that people say he acts, a lot of people don't like him as, as, as much as people like love his stuff. There are so many people who just don't like him that much. So I could see it being pushed back on the list because there would be a crap load of people who want to vote for it, but there's also a bunch of people who would never consider putting a John Byrne thing on there. Yeah, it's hard to dispute the quality of the work that Byrne was putting out from the time he, he took over art duties even on iron fist before his x-men run but if you're judging john byrne solely by what's on the page this is still fantastic stuff but as you've said what i've heard through various second and third parties and hearsay having never seen him exactly he is uh we shall we say he's a very passionate individual who does not shirk from speaking his mind even if his opinions are unpopular that's a one way that's a very nice way of putting it uh, another way of putting it is, and like I said, I've never met him, but from what I've heard from everybody, I'm just saying this what I've heard, is the, let's say, the character of Northstar and him are not that dissimilar, or at least the description you would give for them. Yeah, it could be. I think that could be why, but since there's so many people who feel so passionately about Byrne's work, or Byrne himself, both ways, that there's enough of them to get him on the list, but only this at this high level. Yeah, he will be showing up later. I mean, we've already seen one of his Fantastic Four issues. Another one is yeah. still coming up, and there's a couple of X-Men stories he's involved in that actually ranked as five and six on the list. Yeah, but that's a little less, because you also, I mean, you also take into account whether he's just fully creating it or just the art, you know, co, you know, co-creator artist, like on the X-Men books, and also the titles, obviously. Yeah. Because you're also going to add in all the people who are going to vote in for FF stories, whether or not whoever the creator is, if they like it, because it doesn't matter, it's FF, and then even more people who would do that for X-Men. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got his supporters, he's got his detractors. Most of the detractors seem to detract him because of his public, right? at least call it public persona. Yeah, yeah. The majority of people don't say they don't like him because his work is horrible. Except one of the, actually, there's a letter writer in the uh, letters page here who says that about him. <laughs> Just is funny. They rip into him for his Fantastic Four run, apparently. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I just have the version of the classics and they don't tend to collect the letters columns, so... Yeah, but I think that's where this is at. So, so I'd agree. It, it's a good issue that's got a very powerful and unexpected ending. Unless, of course, you listen to all this podcast before you read it, in which case, still powerful, not so much unexpected. Yeah. So again, Al, thank you for coming on. Why don't you tell people where else they could find you, and then we'll drop in a plug for one of your shows. Sure. The main place you can find me is at Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, where we talk about, well, Adam Warlock and Thanos. So if you like Marvel Cosmic stuff, especially Bronze Age right now, you can go there. You can find the show on iTunes or at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Okay. And we'll drop in a promo for that show. And then when we come back, we'll let people know where to or what to read for next week's podcast. Cool. In February 2014, a new podcast dedicated to the Marvel Comics character, 
Adam Warlock debuted. And the internet broke in half. Well, not really. Far from it, to be honest. But a few of you actually noticed, and we thank you for that. Over the course of 2014, we covered all of Adam's Silver Age adventures and have started on his Bronze Age solo series, as well as his current appearance in two Thanos specials. But it's time for a change. So I'm sad to announce that episode 20 will be the last episode of Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast. However, I am pleased to announce that in 2015, we will premiere the first episode, which we will call Episode 21 of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Yes, the show is continuing, but now with more Thanos. Each month, we have John M. Wilson on as we cover an issue of Warlock, and the other episode of the month, we will continue to have Brian Zeno on to cover Thanos' appearances starting with Captain Marvel 25. So join us in 2015 for Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Now with 20% more Thanos. All right, so for those of you who are reading along at home, next week we're looking at World War Hulk. It was a five-issue event miniseries. We are just looking at the five issues of the event itself and not the crossover tie-ins. It's been collected in the World War Hulk trade paperback, as well as being available on Marvel Digital Unlimited and through Comixology. So feel free to check those five issues out in time for next week. Al, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for asking me to be on. When I, you know, beat up and abducted the original host for this, I was hoping I wouldn't have to, you know, beat up and abduct too many people before you asked me. Oh, well, that's... I've heard you talk about your, your enjoyment of Alpha Flight before, so figured I'd reach out to someone who's got some familiarity with the title. Some. <laughs> you thought I read the issue before, though. <laughs> sucker. I admit I did, but hey, worked out well in the end. Yeah. So those of you listening at home, please review this show and any others you're listening to on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. It helps all your favorite shows get you know a little more notice and a few more downloads. Feel free to join the Facebook forum where we discuss the, the podcasts as they come out, or to check out Bureau42.com and join the discussion there. And join us again next week, and thank you for listening.